I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Hey, First Gen fam. I am so glad that you are here. I'm trying not to do another Thursday, but I just can't help myself. Like, I just was practicing before I even started. Like, I'm going to do another Thursday, and I'm not going to do it. Okay, anyway. So, listen. I am thrilled today because I got one of my homies on here. We go back to when I was in grad school and we used to sit in the student union in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, <laughs> joning on people. <laughs> we go back so far. We so tight that we had those inside jokes, right? That yeah. other people be like, we like fish and filet, okay? <laughs> Jay, it's good to have you here, man. What's up, man? What's good, Eve? It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for, for doing this. And it was really crazy because in all this first-gen talk that we've had over time, we never realized it in all the years we've known each other that we both first did. I know, right? It's kind of like, oh, now you got this platform. Now it's like, hey, are you first gen? So like, I think we just found out maybe this year. I think so. I think so. Mad crazy, but I love it though. And that even like makes me think about the time back when we were at USM. Shout out to Southern Miss. Southern Miss. Shout out to the top. A little sore. Like I'm feeling myself right now. Yeah. (laughs) I love love Southern Miss. Listen, I love Southern Miss. Southern Miss was good to me. It's something about that black and gold. Hello. (laughs) Say it. Okay. What you said. You know what you said. It is something about that. That, that 1910 friend. I mean, uh, Southern Miss, listen, some of the most amazing people I've met in my life, you being one of them, I met at Southern Miss. And when I was in Mississippi, Mississippi just did something to me that was different. And what I mean by that is it's something about the community and the love and the people mm-hmm. in Mississippi that, and I say Mississippi, Alabama, even Louisiana, the deep South, it's that you don't... hospitality. Listen, you don't get that anywhere else. And you get it in North Carolina, but when I was down there and like the first time I went to visit and I was riding my car like at a stoplight somebody like drive by and throw their hand up I was yeah. like this thing to me yeah. What are you talking to me? Okay, what's up? So, yeah. But look, Jay, we had a whole conversation. This is, uh, hey, look, hey, it is what it is. We didn't talk about how today feels like Monday. So, but I'm so, so excited to have you here. I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, Santiago. And <laughs> you can tell them about that too. And tell, tell them what you do. Cool. So, I am currently a mental health advocate grad student finishing up my master's in clinical mental health counseling, bilingual. I have my undergrad degree in foreign language education. I've done some international travel with that as well and just kind of ready to get out into the field and start bringing awareness to minorities about the necessity of mental health and tending to your mental health. So, and this is Minority Mental Health Month too, yeah? Yeah, it is, it is. Okay, okay, that's real cool. I I like that. So, you went from doing education, being bilingual, bilingual, hola, hola, 
¿Cómo estás? Muy bien, usted. Bien, gracias. Bueno, bueno. Hace good, good. Así. Ok, es perfecto. Perfecto, fenomenal. Even right now, I'm in my internship finishing up some clinical hours, and I noticed that there is a grave need for bilingual counseling, especially with all this that's going on in like our social political climate as it relates to immigration and ICE laws and things of that nature, our current administration. Those immigrants who are coming here from different countries, they endure a lot of psychological damage for lack of a better word. And we need competent clinicians who are able to help them as well as, you know, I'm black. So, you know, black people I love to make sure we're looking out for our own people as well to promote their welfare and mental health. Okay. So my curiosity is you are from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Duh, we're talking about this. Look, right. D-Lo, Mississippi. D-Lo. Okay, not even Mississippi, Mississippi, okay? Mississippi, I know. Baby. Okay, <laughs> Mississippi, okay. So, you being from Mississippi of, and I would say of all places, and that's, again, not the criticism because I spent a great part of my life down there. What is it that even intrigued you about Spanish or anything cultural because In my experiences, the diversity was more black and white yeah. than it was. I mean, yes, I met Hispanics and, and Asians and, and what have you there, but most of what I saw was black and white. So what did it for you? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I wish that I could give you some awesome, sophisticated answer to in response to that. But the truth is, I had gotten to undergrad. I was at Southern Miss and my major was English education with a minor in Spanish. I had a mind to be an attorney. For what reason? I don't know, because I really? don't even like law. I don't even like law and politics. But, you know, being an English major, there's a lot that you have to read and a lot that you have to write. So I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I would read and ponder over these things, the different passages that we have. And it would be the last minute where I'm actually like turning that stuff in, turning papers in, finishing them up. And I'm like, so college, yeah, it's about getting a degree, but it's supposed to be fun too. And I didn't want to spend the rest of my college years, you know, in that kind of cycle. Meanwhile, I'm taking Spanish classes. I had taken maybe two classes in high school. And then I, it was kind of like a gap year my first year of college, I didn't take any languages. So when I got to USM, my sophomore year, and I'm taking up, and it's just like coming naturally. Like the language is easy to learn. There were a lot of connections between English and Spanish as they're both derived 
some Latin. So I'm like, you know what? This is easy. I'm going to ride this till the wheels fall off. And I did. I had a professor. She was from Spain. She believed in me enough. I was interested in studying abroad. And I told her that. And she was like, no, no, no. You don't need to study abroad. You need to do an exchange program. Hmm. I mean, if you know anything about those two, then a study abroad is usually with a group of people from your university or from other universities. An exchange program is an independent experience where you pretty much kind of like you just land in a different area. You have to find your housing. You have to like get your plane tickets, everything, all your accommodations. You have to do that yourself. It's so much more independence required to do an exchange program. But she believed in me enough to do it. She vouched for me. I got a scholarship to go from there. Like it just kind of was all she wrote. I think that's dope. And what I think is even funnier is I believe that's the time that you and I actually got the tightest when you were living in Spain. That's crazy, right? Right. Because it's like, here we are in Mississippi, now you're in Spain. But I was so fascinated by you doing this thing. And I didn't have in, in my in my knowledge bank many friends who traveled abroad, mm-hmm. yet alone who studied or exchanged, period. Because you were like living it. Yeah. And I believe that's when with the whole Santiago thing started. Right. Uh, <laughs> and that was always funny because I think maybe when we talked on the phone and people realize when you're friends, man, when you're friends for real, you go through things. We definitely had our moments. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the things that you were literally across the world and we were still in touch. Mm-hmm. FaceTime audio, I think is how we talk. And it would just be so funny because I'm like, FaceTime audio, I'm like, oh, how you doing? It's like, oh, it's this late. I'm like, uh-uh, you got it. You know, but, <laughs> but I commend you even to this day for doing that because, again, as a, a Black male from Mississippi, and, you know, I, I love my Black men, and I love my Black men from Mississippi, especially the ones who I've been able to get surrounded by mm-hmm. because I honor who you all have been able to come in spite of how the world and especially the states perceives you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as oh my gosh you made it out of Mississippi what was I supposed to do kid up, like <laughs> right. you smart you bilingual you from Mississippi like how yeah. that happened so and, and then to have somebody like even my husband who I talk about so much but I'm so impressed by who he is I was when I met him I'm like Lord God thank you because I only see Southern and I love a Southern man all over country man but it's the idea that he was so well spoken I tell him he's smarter than me and I think I'm smart but yeah but to say that, you know, but yeah, just giving you love for that. I don't know if I ever told you how much I just appreciated that because that opened me up to even exploring other things in my own life. Because I think not too long after that, I ended up getting a passport myself and going to the Bahamas. Wow. I went for a wedding, but I wanted to see more. And I'm like, oh, well, I can do it. Yeah. So let me go. So yeah, anyway. Yeah. You even went overseas for your own wedding. Yeah, I did. I did. did. I I used to dream about like a a wedding somewhere different, something different. And when I started realizing, like seeing pictures of islands and stuff, I I just knew I wanted to go do something like that. So when I went to the Bahamas, I was sure that I wanted a destination wedding. And so it did work out for us to do that. And I still think that my wedding day was the most perfect day for me because it was so intimate and personal. So that's amazing. Thank you. 
along with this Black Male series that I've done this month, just want to know from you, you know, things that we can be doing as a community to support each other, and then things that, you know, Black men can be doing to to be well and support each other. But yeah, but let's start with the kind of the transition for you. What made you go for it? Yeah, so... I think that my dad wrestled with mental illness. I'm sure that he did. And, you know, we use words like crazy so much that they carry such a high stigma in the black community and communities of color, period. So we use them so frequently that when we can't describe something, we describe it as crazy, you know, and that keeps people from seeking the services that they need. And he experienced something in his last probably, I think in his last probably 10 years of life from 1999 to 2009 when he died. It was just a decline. There was a change. And I had no idea what it was that was going on with him. And I actually, the connection to go into counseling to mental health came when I was overseas. I remember it was my penultimate semester of school and I was trying to figure out, you know, what was next. Because when I got back, I would do my student teaching and then, you know, graduate. So like, you know, what's next? And I remember just kind of in praying and seeking that out, that guy told me, you know, counseling. And, you know, so that had always been with me, that counseling was something that I was created to do. That was something that I was being called to do. What actually kind of led to that transition was I experienced failure in teaching, in a sense. I had a rough experience. I was in an ethical dilemma. I can say that. I was in an ethical dilemma and it made my world turn upside down to the point to where I'm like, okay, so what now? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Because clearly... (laughs) This ain't it. (laughs) So I was revisited by that notion of counseling and I started kind of looking for different programs and, you know, For me, I'm a Christian, so my religion, my beliefs are very, very important to me. So I began to look up programs that kind of like integrated the two of them. And I was kind of led out here to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ironically, where you're from. (laughs) And I mean, it was kind of just like downhill from there, I guess, if you will. It was just... It was just something that I knew that was for me. I've always been a relational person. That's one of the things that I value most. I value meaning. I value meaningful relationships. I value meaningful conversations. I value meaningful connections. So coming out here, it was like thinking about counseling, thinking, okay, so this is something that really works for me because like it takes the classroom where I'm used to, you know, anywhere from 25 to 30 students, if you will, in my classroom to one-on-one. So I'm able to give individuals that attention, that unique, specific attention in this time frame that we have, unlike when I was in teaching. Mm, Okay, I can dig that. I can dig that. So what would you say then has been the most challenging aspect of this transition? I think the most The most challenging part of it, I would definitely would say is the, the becoming part. And when I say becoming, I don't necessarily mean becoming like a mental health professional, right? Like we all have different degrees and different things and whatever. That's not what I mean. I think the becoming J, the becoming into my own, the come becoming of like who I am and what I value and what matters most to me, that part of transition, kind of breaking away from my family and what I've always known was kind of been the norm for me and creating my own norms. I think that 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 has been the most difficult part, but it's also the most rewarding part as well. 
And I like that you touch on that. And more so because I think truth is tradition, especially in, in the deep southern mm-hmm. states that I've experienced, is something that is a fiber for people. Definitely. And I mean, I mean, I'm from North Carolina, so I'm not out of the South, but I'm not that far South, just, you know, where I'm from. And so, but like for me, example, my family was very supportive of me journeying out and venturing and doing my own thing. Hey, you go. It wasn't a stay here, be with us. Although I still knew I had responsibilities to my family. I didn't feel like bad about me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that mm-hmm. way. And so I can understand the navigating the new self and making new traditions, especially when you come from a deep Southern state that is deeply religious yeah. and some things because we look at other places and that, that's not to say there's not deeply religious places, you know, other places, but we know culturally what it means to be from the Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I can only imagine that that was something, but again, it's really nice to know that you've been able to find your space and even for you to leave and to find your space and to really, like you said, becoming of who you are. I want to call you Michael Obama, but I'll just leave it alone. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I see what you did right there. But it's just really cool to think about this being you and you being who you want to be without the extra. That's a good way to say it. So yeah, yeah. I'm digging that. So, um, so let's fast forward on into the conversation or the, the part about you know mental health and mental health awareness what are things that you feel like we as a minority community and I say minority community people of color mm-hmm. period you know because that's what's considered minority in a lot of instances but even you know if we look at it from a first gen perspective we're still a minority yeah, we <laughs> so are. I'm going to say is it good for me to say that I don't know well, yeah, I'm going to have to do some research but anyway <laughs> we're going to fast forward through that too <laughs> but I think a lot of us who are first generation we do typically identify with do come from minority communities. So I would definitely say that minority low, low income is not unusual. So what are some things that you just think we should all know? If you could give us three things, you know, like we all need to know this, what would you say those things would be? And yes, it's intended to be a difficult question. Yeah. So I want to take this time to focus on black men, right? Well, men of color, in of color because the field of counseling itself is saturated heavily with women. And I believe in higher education, right, is saturated. There's a higher number of women who who have degrees of higher education than men. But I think that one of the things that's most important for minority men is kind of constructing for yourself what masculinity and manhood and just being a man looks like, right? Because we're faced with a lot of uh, antiquated, if you will, outdated outdated perspectives of what it looks like to be a man from our fathers who you know off the heels of war it looked very different you know it was more so traditional you know the woman may work she may was usually at home the man went out he was the one who was always strong he was the one who paid all the bills he was the one who you know earn a living for the household. He took care of everybody. He didn't show emotion. If he did, it may have been anger. He may have smiled some, but there's this stoicism that's kind of inbred in me and that's like deep in there. And it's like, no, now in 2019, like that's transforming. Our world is drastically mm-hmm. changing. And what so many men wrestle with right now is that they are stuck in what they've been taught. And that's not to say that it isn't valuable in its own right, but that's just to say that 
teachings from the 50s and the 60s can't hold up here in this new generation that we live in. Right. When I do research papers, when I do present papers for my professors, the farthest back that I can reach back is 10 years. Right. So when we reach back 40 and 50 years for something that's kind of outdated, there's this newer research, there's newer information that's available to us. And we have to use that information to create ourselves to make us who we want to be. And so many men, minority men wrestle with this. I believe that there's an unseen or unspoken depression among minority men because they're attempting to make a square peg fit in a circle hole. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I would probably say is that, you know, I think that we should just be more open to it as a whole. The stigma of being crazy or mental health, like we talk about it. And I I read a post the other day and it was talking about self-care. And these terms become so widely used that the meaning of them is kind of like watered down. So we think of we think of self-care to be, you know, not going to work with my feet up, going to the spa and getting a facial or pedicure, manicure, those types of things, which, you know, it is nice to be good to yourself. But I read a quote a while back that says true self-care is building a life that you don't have to escape from regularly. And in in minority communities, we wrestle. Those numbers are high when it comes to substance and alcohol abuse and misuse. And it's because we're looking for an escape from our daily life because we don't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to begin to make lives for ourselves, to care for ourselves well, to tend to ourselves enough to say, like, I don't want to continue to perpetuate bad cycles through my family. I want this to stop with me. I care enough about myself that I want a life that I enjoy and be able to accept the consequences that come with it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, and so I mean, because well, you said the consequences. Dig into that. So, what do you mean by the consequences that come? So, with yeah, that? I mean, you know, what is it? Newton's law for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You know, you think about it, you throw a ball in the air, what goes up must come down. If you're gonna make a life that's fitting for you, then there are going to be consequences, whether good or bad that are going to come from it. Say, for example, Eve, you and I are friends, right? And I noticed that you are a friend that is constantly taking and taking and taking from me. And whenever I need you, whenever I reach out to you, you're never available to me. We've been friends for years, you know, and I could choose to allow us to continue to be friends. Well, the consequence of that is that I'm going to continue to feel drained. I'm going to continue to feel unappreciated, but it will satisfy you. And it'll satisfy me too, because in some extent, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're here in my life, right? But if I choose to change the nature of our relationship to something that's more fitting for me, and that may even be a conversation with you about what I've noticed in our relationship, there's a true possibility that you can throw your hands in the air and say, I don't have time for this mess. This is not what I signed up for. Dust your hands in me and walk away, right? Hmm. But I have to be able to accept those consequences at the end of the day to know that I did what's best for me. I can't be responsible mm. for body, anybody else's emotions. I can't. You can't be responsible for those things. I can only be responsible for me because I'm the only person that has to live with myself for the rest of my life. Mm. I can dig that. And since you look, since you went there, ahead, oh, come on. Lord, since you went there, I mean, we can, we can just go there because and let's just be transparent with the people. A part of that self care is also being honest about what you're right. going through because we have a moment yeah. like that. So I was like, hey, where are you going to put this yeah. up like that? But we had 
that moment and I think when you think about friendship and what self-care looks like it comes in mm-hmm, all kind of ways mm-hmm. to where even sometimes like you said you got to take those consequences I know like I said even with us that was a moment I was like yo I just need some space I need some time I'm going through something that you can't do nothing about and right now me self-caring is being limited in my interactions with not just you boy everybody right. and so I think that when you say dealing with the consequences I'm actually kind of glad you went down huh shot <laughs> but this is a real <laughs> show right, right. And not that I, I didn't feel like you were trying to like, you know, throw no, it or anything like that because but it was a great example because I'm like, damn, you know, this is a good point. When you think about it, sometimes you may hurt people. Like I know when I shut down, I hurt mm-hmm. you. And I know I hurt a few other people. And I'm like, well, it wasn't intentional. But people don't always realize that self-care sometimes may mean that I need to be in isolation. I may not want to, I may not want to talk about what I'm going through. I may not want to be available. But in that, when I was able to come back around, and I think sometimes we are unfair as friends. And I don't think that you are. But we aren't there as people because we expect, just like you said, for you to do what I need you to do or what I want you to do when I want you to do it. Where it's sometimes like, nah, well, like you said, when you, when you ready to come around and you're good, I'll be mm-hmm. here. And I just needed that space to heal myself and just kind of find my own breath and just get it together. Because if I'm not a good friend for myself, I'm not a good friend for you. I and agree. So I, li- I love that example. So because the consequence was we, us, our relationship could have been damaged. It permanently. could have. It could have. But was it a risk I was willing to take? But you know, see, Eve, what I'm realizing is like, yeah, like you said, that if you have to be willing to take risks. And that's not just in friendships, but that's life, right? It's taking risks. That's mm-hmm. all you know is taking risks. You don't know what's going to happen, but you have to be willing to take that risk. And especially as it relates to like relationships, right? When it comes to relationships, you think like if a person really values you and the, your relationship and they care enough about it, then there's really nothing that can like push them to walk away. So even though, you know, we may have had our disagreement, we may not have seen eye to eye, you may have, you know, been in isolation, that, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, well, if ease, if our friendship is really what our friendship is, then we're both going to be able to come to a point to where we care about each other and this friendship is valued enough between the two of us to where we can work it out. Now, does that mean we're going to necessarily agree on it? No, but now I know those things that trigger you. You know those things that trigger me. Mm. We know each other's responses and we know how to respect each other in the midst of that. Mm. I love that we can be the example, that we're using our mm-hmm. own situation as an example, only because when you think about, like you said, that part about suffering the consequences, it just touched home and then use, you know, that an example that, I mean, wasn't directly our situation, right. but I can see how it definitely could have been pulled. But to go forward to say, and take care of yourself and your self-care everybody's not like everybody's not gonna like it they're not. and they're not gonna understand it but that's that's a consequence and like people say you are an excuse you can do anything you want to do but you're not excused from the consequences yep. but the consequence also because i mean when you hear consequence and i think consequence is something bad consequence is just the outcome of something that's happening the consequence for me was many things but what i needed more was space and so to those of you who are in situations where you may be dealing with even draining relationships or you just drain yourself with life and you need to take a moment, there will be consequences, both good and bad, that will come with your choice to take care of yourself. But you got to choose you. Because even in those moments, and, you know, again, full transparency, when I'm in moments where I need to take care of myself, I won't say that I neglect my husband because that's not necessarily it, but I may not be the best wife in those moments because my selfishness really, like, steps up a couple notches. 
<laughs> but being that we have been together for so long, he's patient and understanding, and she just needs time to herself. And he'll say to me, babe, you need me time? And I'd be like, yep. And so that's why it's also good to have people in your life who you can trust through your seasons. Mm, come on. Because, yeah, this mental health thing, people don't realize how much even sometimes we as people can irritate other people's situations. Oh, say that. <laughs> when you started it. <laughs> you know, this, this is good because you think mental health, mental health is figuring it out, understanding it, feeling mm-hmm. it, and, and making sense of things for yourself. And sometimes we just don't give people space to breathe and figure it out. We want to tell you, take care of yourself, take care of yourself. But then yet we want to act like, well, I ain't hurt you in a while. So I just feel like you don't want to talk to me or, well, you should be over there by now. Why are you even tripping about this? Why? Give me time to trip if I need right. to trip. And that's just across the board. So even as people, not only do we have to take care of ourselves, but as, as people who love others, we have to be mindful of what we expect of others as they're going through whatever they're going through. So I expect to get on this, but I like it. I like it. And then speaking to the black males, I'm not a black male. And, you know, as a, as a black woman, though, I guess I can say I appreciate, you know, I know it's a black, I mean, it's both black, so I think that's just natural. It's, you know, people of mm-hmm. color. And I think people of color, we can really relate just mm-hmm. in general. I agree. But I think that even as black women for black men, I think in our community, especially, there is a level of understanding and patience through the healing that we all have to experience that yeah. I think we get away from. What do you, what do you think about that? Because you think about relationships, they're saying they're toxic. Sometimes I don't think that they're as toxic as they are. We just trying to heal from a broken past. And because we're people of pride and you can't see me broken because I'm mm-hmm. strong, that we don't really know how to navigate that. So, first of all, I really think that the word of that phrase about toxic relationships can be used wrongfully because a lot of times people just don't want to take time to face and heal and confront they don't want to do that so it's easier to cower and say you know I'm gonna push you out of my life because like Eve in that situation like you know you and I know what was going on but like somebody else it could have been like you know you chose to you can confront your friend about something that's going on and then because I don't like being confronted. It's not what you're saying. See, the truth hurts, right? So when you're coming mm-hmm. to somebody with some truth to say, like Eve, you're coming to me and say, Jay, you did this to me and it hurts me. I can just, I can very easily say, you know what? I ain't got time for this life because you always bringing all this drama in my life and I ain't got time for it. And that's a scapegoat and, I, and an easy out. And I think we use it that way too much. But oftentimes uh, as well, like especially I believe with like early relationships or relationships that you form in your first, what, eight years of life that you can become so connected to those people to the point to where you're willing to take more than what's necessary. I mean, and this can be from family to childhood friends. And there's sometimes people in your life that just, that just aren't good for you, that just aren't healthy in order for you to be the you that you need to be, not for others, but for yourself. Like it, it means that you may have to step away from them, that you may, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not saying for forever. That may say that instead of me talking to you every day, you know, now we talk once a month or once every few months because I can only take you in so many doses. You know, that, that's what that's saying. Oh, yeah. It's not saying that I'm tearing the relationship apart completely, but it's more so saying like I'm just doing what makes more sense for me, what works for me in order for me to be mm. in the best mental space. Because people can call you, baby, and interrupt that and have you feeling like you're about to start a fire or something. But, you know. 
<laughs> oh man, I mean, that's that's fact. But I think you know, at the end of the day, and it's, I think it's funny how we even took the, the turn to get onto relationships in general. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, it was a plan. I know we, you know, had a conversation about talking about mental health. But I know the thing is that at the end of the day, a lot of mental health can either be helped or hurt mm-hmm, by people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And until we recognize that we all play a role in some capacity for the well-being of ourselves and the people around us, I don't think that we as a people, people, black, white, blue, purple, green, can truly begin yeah. healing. And then people who try to heal, we say that they crazy, like you yeah. said, crazy, or they tripping, mm-hmm. or they acting brand yeah. new. We put these things on them, or what you going through, or why you acting this way? Let it be. Just let it be. Because I know for me, as somebody who has long struggled with anxiety and depression, and I talk about it, and I try to be open, and I'm not saying like, oh, you know, it's not, it's not, no, it's not it's a cool thing, but I talk about it because at the end of the day, I have to be sensitive, more sensitive as I've grown to my mm-hmm. needs, but also needing people around me who would be sensitive as well. Mm-hmm. Because what that ends up doing is, I mean, I couldn't be married to my husband if he wasn't sensitive to me. I feel you. And and this thing that I have going on, that I've had going on for years that I can't get rid of, is no cure for it. To have randomly panic disorder or at one point in my life to have gotten so off into my mental health in a negative way that I didn't want to leave my house because I was scared to leave the house. People, unless you've experienced it, don't know what it's like to not even want to get in your car and drive because you're scared to drive. My anxiety pushed me to a short spout of agoraphobia. And so if I didn't have somebody who was patient, understanding and loving and who was hurtful, that could have done even more damage Mm -hmm. to me. That could have further, you know, led to more with depression and and all these things. But yeah, but I said that to say, I mean, I guess as we've talked, this conversation is really about, I guess, even our responsibilities and our mental health for ourselves and each other. So that's that's Mm -hmm. really powerful stuff. Yeah, we, we definitely come to a point. I'm like, man, we gotta wrap it up. But this, this, I mean, this is what happened with us, right? We can talk for hours. Right. We know we talk for hours. We go on and on and on. But if you give us a few things to just carry with us, words of wisdom, nuggets to to have with us for the rest of our life, what would those things be? So the first one that I would tell anybody is something that I heard. It's a quote that I heard about three years ago before I moved out here. And it was that you cannot fail at what you were created to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we get scared to launch out, to do, to start, to begin. To we, we get afraid to do it, you know, and we worry about all of the pieces coming together. But you can't fail at what you were created to do. You can't fail at being you. You can't fail at that. There's... I, it doesn't make sense that you can fail at being you. You can fail at being somebody else because that's not you. You can fail at other things because that's not you. But being who you were created to be, you can't fail at that. Another thing that I think that is helpful is there's this quote by Terry Pratchett. And it says, always remember that the crowd that applauds at your coronation is the same crowd that applauds at your beheading. People like a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this digital age where everything consists of likes and shares and retweets, it's so easy to get caught up in that public acclaim, right? But, and we think that because we get those things, because we get the likes, because we get the shares, that we've made it, that we've arrived. And though they help with branding and all that stuff, be wary of that, those same people, because those same people that are there when you are getting the accolades and awards will be the very same ones that'll be there when it's all falling down. 
And I don't mean there for you. I mean they're talking about it. They're laughing. They're taunting you. It's, don't fall into the acclaim of people. Like, do what you do because it brings you joy. Because it is who you are. Not for people's responses uh, to what you're doing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And with that, say the word. Hello. Hello. <laughs> look, Jay, it has been wonderful to have you here. I know we, you know, we I said we took a different turn. We did. But a turn that I think was necessary. But I, I love to be able to have conversations like this and give people what's real, especially our people, so that we can start to just, again, live better and be better in all that we do. So thank you for your wisdom, for your creativity, for your spirit. I know that there's somebody who's listening who's going to want to maybe lurk, check you out, you know. So where do you want the good people to find you? Okay, so go check me out on Instagram. It's Dr. J on the way, dr. J, the letter J dot on the way. If you search me on Facebook, it's just J Hayes, J-A-Y-H-A-Y-E-S. And then from there, you can kind of find any other platforms. But those are probably the main two that I'm on. All right now, J Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to when you it just, it just hit my spirit. Like, okay, I'm about, okay, then I'm gonna get, I'm gonna make you then a Mississippi hit. Thank you again. Congratulations you on everything. Me. Gosh, it's such a pleasure to have had you here. Thank you for the role that you have played in my life and for helping me in my own world and through my own good and bad. I thank you for being that friend. So you're awesome. And <laughs> no problem, Eve. Thank you. You are amazing. And what you are doing here is phenomenal. Phenomenal. <laughs> What's the Spanish word? Phenomenal. How do you say, say it to me in so keep keep doing keep uplifting first genius because you know uh, what is it reach one teach one you got it you doing mm, it yeah we out here doing we out here all right well look brother we got that to catch up until the next time be good to yourself all right you do the same Eve. did you go mm, at any point doing the show like you felt that like it hit you if so that's a sign that you ought to go ahead and hit the subscribe button then share with all your friends co-workers uncles aunts cousins grandmas exes everybody okay and if you like more resources to stay inspired empowered and uplifted as you navigate this journey of life I want to invite you to join the first gen family where I share only through email exclusive insights updates and giveaways you can do that by heading over to www.thepurposeprofessor.com forward slash family I've actually dropped a link in the show notes to just make it easy for you to get there until next time don't forget to be resilient authentic and intentional in all that you do and no matter what keep pressing forward I love you peace